0: This is Campus Voices, issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. A public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU. Good morning and welcome to Campus Voices. I'm Rick Alloway. Thank you for your time this Sunday morning. The radio station on which you are hearing this program turns 50 years old this very day, And it seemed very appropriate to bring one of the architects of that radio station in to talk about its growth. Dr. Larry Walklin was the longtime chair of the broadcasting department here on the University of Nebraska-Lincoln campus and uh, was there at the start and is here with us this morning to talk about 50 years on the air at KRNU, what came before, and his thoughts about uh, what has happened since. Larry, always glad to have you back in the building. Always good to be back in the building. Uh, you joined the faculty in 1967, is that, that correct? That's true. Okay. At that time, how large was the broadcast faculty?
1: Broadcast faculty at that time was two.
0: Okay. And number of majors, roughly? Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Okay. So it's uh, grown exponentially since that time. What broadcast, or I should say live um Radio kinds of experiences were available to students in your early years here?
1: As you know, uh, the university had uh, a radio station in the 1920s WFAV, which was a fairly powerful AM station, and after they experimented with it for a while, they let it go off the air. Eventually, the academic program put on a carrier current station, KNUS, Nebraska University Students, and it was a service which fed the uh, residence halls so that if you were a student in the residence halls you could hear this program from the station so they actually did some things and they did some broadcasts from the campus and so forth but it wasn't very successful because the technology as such was a little bit difficult at the time and if you weren't in the building at the right place you couldn't hear it so it was not very successful.
0: So what were the steps that led to the eventual creation of what we now know as KRNU?
1: Well, the thought was that we needed to have a vehicle for uh, giving the students a professional opportunity. It's been very interesting to me to see that at the uh, most recent event uh, at the Innovation Campus, uh, the Chancellor talked about dealing with uh, education in an experiential sense. And of course, that's exactly what KRNU is. And we were doing that 50 years ago.
0: Point taken. <laughs> and so
1: the approach was is to give the students not only the opportunity to do materials for classes, but they had to be on the air. They had to abide by the FCC rules and regulations. They had to deal with the kinds of things that were part and parcel of what was going on. And it also gave them some opportunities to do program content, play by play sports, for example, that they didn't have the opportunity to do before. So I had come from universities that had very successful radio programs. And so my thought was, my pitch to uh, university administration, primarily uh, Neil Koppel, who was the director of the School of Journalism at that time, was we need to have a version of that kind of situation here. Neil agreed with that, and uh, bless his heart, that was a situation where he took on the leadership role to get the administration to go for it,
0: and they did. Was that a tough sell, do you think, or what impression did Neil give you about that? Were they, did they embrace it with open arms, or was there some skepticism? Neil was
1: very enthusiastic about it, and remember, he's a very successful print journalist. But he could see the approach parallel to the news editorial people, in which it was an opportunity for the students to have a real professional opportunity to do some things for their own benefit, but also it really helped the university. It helped the university with program content that was out there and so forth, Uh, not only athletics, but Uh, Fine arts, um, graduation, other kinds of things are part of this. And uh, if they looked around a little bit and they saw the universities doing this, there was the opportunity to, to do it. So it was sort of a blend of what we call here the opportunity for the students to get the opportunity to do experiential kinds of situations, mm-hmm. but also it was really a situation where it really helped the university.
0: Yeah, it was good marketing and promotion for the university, but also aided in that transparency of the government uh, entity to be able to have all of the things that, that were happening on campus be uh, extended past the boundaries of the, the physical campus. So the planning of it, uh, because I know we signed on in uh, February of 1970, what was the t- how far back does the timetable did it have to go in order to have all those dots of the proper letters and everything ready to go that morning? At that time, it was
1: interesting because the Nebraska Broadcasters Association, which is a very effective professional group, as you certainly know, uh, had the idea that any non-commercial license would be quote public radio and would be essentially trying to compete with commercial interests. So they weren't really in favor of that. So we, Um, Professor Koppel and I were invited to appear on a panel at the Nebraska Broadcasters Association Convention. And uh, I sat there basically as a resource person, but Professor Koppel made the pitch to them saying, we're going to really enhance the opportunities for students. We're going to have more people who are better qualified to go out and work in your stations. And uh, that was the idea for the radio station. And the executive director at the time uh, stood up and said, the University of Nebraska will never have a radio station. And that was the end of the Event, Mm -hmm. however, by the evening of that day, the Nebraska Broadcasters Association was behind the idea, and they had appointed a three-person
0: engineering committee to uh, activate the channel. That's interesting because, as you well know, your your experience with the broadcasters is longer than mine. Uh, The current administration of the Nebraska Broadcasters is ever so much happy to be working with the university and understands the great training ground and also, frankly, the recruiting ground mm-hmm. for their members that an active broadcasting program provides.
1: When I started out, you know, I started out, fortunately, and as you did, as a person in high school working for a commercial station. The manager of the station that I was with KMMJ in Grand Island was a man named Bill Martin, who had been president of the Nebraska Broadcasters Association. So at a very early age, I had some impression of how effective they were and what they could do for you in terms of the situation. And so that was a circumstance that allowed me to have the opportunity to talk about some things. The um, president of the Nebraska Broadcasters Association that year was a man named Paul Jensen. Paul Jensen was a longtime manager of koln tv KGIN tv And Paul was from Crete. And um, Paul happened to be a situation where he had gone to Dillon College. And he had happened to go to college with my uncle. So he was one of the people, I smile when I say this, who could actually pronounce my last name (laughs) and actually spell it. (laughs) And people out there in Radio Land would have no way of knowing, but there's, Walklin is an English name, but there's an L on either side of the K. And people drop one or the other. And so I was always quite impressed by the fact that he could do that. When he did that, I realized, I finally found out, that he was a personal friend of my father's younger brother, and so as a result, he knew the family and he knew the connections. Um, It was very interesting because, despite the fact the executive director had gotten up and said there's never gonna be anything, by evening of that same day, it was in full operation. And the, the folks who were in full operation, the committee, the engineering committee consisted of a man named, I think you probably remember, Al Pugsley from mm-hmm. KFOR. Very well. Ray Taylor, the chief cha- chief engineer of KOLNKGIN, and a named Glenn Flynn, actually called G. Flynn usually, who was the chief engineer of the WOW stations. So the university got from the broadcasters, without paying, a very sophisticated engineering committee to do all the work.
0: No kidding. Those were three powerhouse names. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you had space originally in um, uh, Nebraska Hall. What, what was the process in carving out that space there, or were you able to just basically retool space you already controlled?
1: The space in Nebraska Hall and on the third floor was actually space that was allocated to the broadcasting major, and there was two production studios, control boards, and some equipment, and it was a situation in which those two studios actually also could feed the carrier current, that's the wired wireless station, internally in buildings. That station was KNUS, K Nebraska University students. Mm -hmm. And so although it actually functioned that way, the transmitters for those things in the residence halls really were not effective, so they didn't work. So that was one of the arguments to go to an FM license, an over-the-air license, which was more professional and would be the opportunity to get to more people.
0: Sure. Was there a sense among the students at that time that going on the air sort of upped the ante in oh, terms sure. of their performance? Yes, indeed. So were they excited about the opportunity? Yes, or was there? Okay, I don't know if there was some apprehension with that. Uh, sometimes you go, oh, more people are listening now. That's kind of frightening. But that's the business they hope to pursue, so it makes sense to, to get that opportunity as early as possible.
1: Well, you certainly know. Uh, outside the room that we're recording this in, there's a picture of the people on the first day of the studio, and the two people who were involved there. One— gentleman. Uh, Tim Fitzgerald became head of Radio and Television Operations and Public Relations for the University of Nebraska Omaha, and Sue Limbo was a person who went on to broadcasting in a, in a professional
0: career elsewhere. So how long was the station situated in Nebraska Hall before there was a, a, a need to move? The College of Journalism had the
1: opportunity to move from Nebraska Hall to Avery Hall, and so when you were going to move to Avery Hall, radio station was going to move as well. Now, there's a certain problem with that because in the the, the original operation, the studios were in Nebraska Hall, 901 North 17th Street, directly across the street from the residence hall, Able Hall. And the antennas were put on top of Able Hall, didn't have to put up a long pole, you just put it on top of this high rise building. And you could use what in the business is called a short distance remote control operation. And so that was fine. It worked out great in terms of doing this. Nice coverage area easy to maintain, you need to do something with the transmitter, you walked across the street. But when the School of Journalism, as it was then, was going to move to Avery Hall, there were two things that were really helped. One was, you could redesign the studios, so the studios weren't much better in terms of that. But then the question was, do you leave the antenna on top of Able Hall and try to get to a long-distance remote control? But you might put it on top of Old Father Hall, which, again, was across the street. And why would you go to Old Father Hall? Because it's even a taller building. And as people in broadcasting know, the higher your antenna is, the better coverage area that you have. So for a variety of interesting reasons, the transmitter on Old Father Hall was moved. Now, that took a whole another set of Federal Communications Commission's filings, engineering uh, coverage, and so forth uh, as a part of it.
0: By that time, was there... Um, I don't want to say, a better relationship with the commercial broadcasters. I would have thought by that time they would have said, wow, this really is a help, because I'm sure you had people coming out of the program and going directly into the stations who were well-trained and could hit the ground running. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So now we're in, in Avery Hall, which is where I first encountered the station in 1973. And I guess not knowing the past history, when I had started there, I always I just assumed that it had always been there and didn't realize it had only been there a couple of years before I set foot on campus. But now the broadcasting faculty was up to three, if I remember correctly, uh, yourself and Peter Mayu and um, Ed, Bailey. Ed Bailey. And you were splitting up the duties of the, the radio station, and it was— up and running on, um, not it wasn't 24-7, but you were running at least 18 hours a day, if I remember correctly, during, correct. during the school year and then back to 12 when we weren't on the, uh, in the calendar, academic calendar. What was the rationale in keeping the station on 12 months out of the year when the FCC would have allowed you to shut down anytime we weren't actively teaching class?
1: Well, two things, one of which you we were professional broadcasters and we had an audience out there. And secondly, there were students who were enthusiastic and they wanted to be on the air. Even if they weren't necessarily in class during a summer session or a pre-session, they were
0: ready to show up and do it. And I also remember, I think you told me this early on, that uh, that also protected us a little bit from perhaps having to share the frequency with somebody else if we weren't on at least 12 hours a day, 365. That's so correct. I remember that uh, there were some before the days of automation, sometimes during the uh, the depths of the summer, it was a little challenging to find people to be on there 12 hours a day because everybody was off doing internships or Summer vacations, and I recall having to occasionally go in and spin a couple of records myself for a couple hours to fill in if need be. Not that I was opposed to that, but uh, automation and you're so very good changed at that. that, well, uh, thank you, but <laughs> I was adequate, mm-hmm. we'll put it that way. So uh, the broadcasting department continued to expand during the course of the 70s and 80s and added more faculty members. The radio station stayed in Avery until um, 2001. What was the genesis of the move to the spaces where we're sitting now?
1: Well, the idea uh, always is uh, by the university is to try to utilize buildings that are appropriate for the situation. The building, um, which is the current location of the College of Journalism, is a building which is nominally about a block off campus from the Nebraska Union. And so they would acquire this building, and the idea was is that they needed a program which would function successfully off campus. Well, when you're covering the news and you're going up and down the streets and you're going to the courthouse and you're going to the, state Capitol building, it's very logical to have the journalism people as being the people who are immersed in the community. So that was just fine for the radio station, too, in terms of, of doing that. Now, of course, that got us further away from the transmitter you know, on top of Old Father Hall, but still was very successful.
0: Yeah, and being able to run a fiber optic line, uh, which didn't even exist back when you first moved over to Avery, has, uh, has allowed for some, uh, some good sounding audio coming from a few blocks away. Thinking back on it, uh, when you first put the station on the air, what was your goal? I mean, I know you've, you've articulated the value to the students, but how did you? When you first pondered it, how did you view success for the for the campus station?
1: Well, remember, I had come from three universities: Kansas State University in Manhattan, Michigan State University in East Lansing, and the University of Iowa in Iowa City. And all of those institutions had very successful radio programs. So, to a very large degree, what we tried to put together here was modeled on what they, those people were doing successfully. It was a combination of giving students opportunities to enjoy, learn abide by the FCC rules and regulations, but also enhance the opportunities for the
0: university, and that's what we did. Looking back on it now through the lens of, of uh, hindsight, uh, what are you most proud of about, uh, about the station and your time as, uh, as its leader, as the longtime general manager, founding general manager, and uh, uh, one of only two? <laughs> well, what we tried to do was to provide uh, increased
1: opportunities, which we still do, of course, for students. And really, this is what it does. And so uh, every time that you tune across the dial, whether it's a local dial uh, here, and you see people on, on commercial stations in Lincoln, Nebraska, or you hear people as you travel, which we do sometimes, and you're in another market, and you say, oh, look, there's so-and-so who's a graduate of the University of Nebraska. We gave them opportunities to succeed in the field that they might not have had under other circumstances. And that ability just to be on the air, to practice, to keep doing different kinds of things are important. The other consideration is that we've always done, and you still do, of course, is the opportunity to do innovative programming. And people sometimes would say to us, Oh, what's the example of innovative programming? So, well, innovative programming is when Professor Peter Mayu, who ran our programming, and I went over to the university administration and said, We decided that we would like to broadcast live the Board of Regents meetings. And they said, Oh, <laughs> and, we, and we explained to them that the open meetings law said that we could do it, and they said, "We'll we'll, 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 we'll consider that. Now, of course, the interesting situation is, is that, as you know, they could have, because they control the license, the Board of Regents or the Board of Directors, they could just say, you know, well, I don't want to do it. We own the station. We don't want to. But they didn't say that, and so uh, even at that time, right away after we went on the air, we started broadcasting the Board of Regents meetings. Two things about that, one of which is it improved understanding of the university community. It really helped people understand what was going on. And the other consideration is that it helps students understand the relationship of, of uh, the mass media to the governmental entities in terms of doing this. So we did it because it was an idea that really was very appropriate in terms of education.
0: Well, and it, it fits into that earlier discussion we were having about the transparency of the institution, that we're not hiding behind closed doors. We're making these meetings, which are open to the public anyway, even more uh, open to the general population. And it's interesting, every semester in the in the beginning uh, uh, audio production courses that staff KRNU during the, the academic semesters, I always mention the region's meetings. And I say, you might think, I want to sit and listen to a meeting. And I always tell them, look, this is your tuition money at work. These are the folks that decide how your tuition is being spent. Were it me, I would listen to every second of these meetings because this is how your money is being allocated, and that you should be part of that process.
1: Well, to the region's credit over the years and to the university administration's credit, they embraced the idea just fine. Absolutely. They realized that it was an opportunity to put their best foot forward, Yep, and people went, wow, you're doing this really good things. So we can see that. The other thing that was, didn't show on the surface was and and you probably remember this from your days in the commercial market, is that people would, on the commercial stations would listen to the KRNU broadcast, and they would find out what was going on. And with our permission, they took off our air some of the comments by the regents or by the chancellor or the president
0: of the university. So the university got a lot more coverage in terms of doing this. And another way that that used to happen is on the sports side with the Husker Sports Service, and the uh, the Husker Hotline that uh, that you guys innovated before I came to campus, uh, tell us about that and the service that that provided. It was very similar to, to the uh, the outreach from the regions.
1: Well, first on the regions situation, we would cover the regions and we would record the stuff, and then we would call up, and uh, and uh, deal with it. So one of the sort of side stories on the regions is that we were sitting in the studios with uh, Dr. Tom Spann, who was our uh, person in charge of operations at the time. And we were listening to the Regents broadcast, and what we knew was they were going to announce the new chancellor for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And so they, they announced this, and of course, we're carrying it live on the radio station, and you probably recall the story. So Tom had already dialed up uh, the Associated Press in Omaha, and we already had like, you know, seven. Digit call, we already had five digits dialed and we dialed up two or three more digits and we said hello, this is Karen Lincoln. We want to tell you about the new president of the university and so forth. And so they said, Oh yeah, we're really interested in that. So while we're on the line, somebody else calls on the other line and they say, We're calling to let you know this is the Associate Press correspondent who is at the meeting and saying, Here's the new new uh, President or Chancellor of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And, and the guy who were on the foot said, Well, I have oh, that. I got that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there was a long form, a long time um, sports version of that as well. I remember recording the Husker hotline with sports cuts from the athletic department. This was predating the ability to get all of that stuff online. And that we were again providing, our students were providing a service with uh, pre-recorded audio cuts from Coach Osborne's news conference that anybody in the country could dial up on the automatic system and just listen to those cuts. And uh, that was a great service, as was providing, back when we had a freshman football team, providing play-by-play of the uh, freshman team, which is what brought Frank Solich here in the first place, to coach that team, to a variety of other radio stations around the country Whose uh, teams were playing and did not have the wherewithal to send a crew. So, we got a lot of great network experience out of that.
1: Yeah, in fact, we, uh, we developed, as you know, or you refer to it, a network feed. And so, if somebody from, uh, uh, I don't know the name of a specific place, let's say Iowa State was here and they were playing a freshman game, we would just automatically allow them to take our feed. We had a different kind of a format. So we we're saying this is KRU Lincoln. We'd say this is the Nebraska Sports Service in the cutaways in terms of doing it. So we taught the students how to be able to do that sort of thing. But they were very successful mm-hmm. in terms of, of doing it, and the students really enjoyed that. Uh, as you t- tell me that, I think um, one of the people who did that was Doug Brooker, you know, who is the guy today who, who
0: runs uh, Public Radio in Des Moines. Yep. So there have been a lot of folks uh, historically you've come through the program and continue to work in, uh, very successfully in all forms of media because one of the things we've always preached here, if you will, is that the kinds of skills one learns in a mass communications education are so transferable to virtually any kind of a career, not just to being on the air.
1: Well, in the situation, of course, when you go to a university, people tend to go to a lot of different kinds of jobs afterwards in terms of doing this. So, for example... There are people who are uh, folks who are in uh, rated television, delivered public information, public relations things, as we mentioned, Tim Fitzgerald, one of the guys who was on uh, earlier on in terms of uh, the first broadcast. And it's a situation where uh, we had wonderful cooperation from people within the university. In a sports situation, Don Brad, who was the longtime sports information director, was a very nice guy and was a journalist at heart, print journalist, primarily, but we went to him and we said, "We you know, we want to do this audio system in terms of doing this. Well, he was getting a request from radio stations, uh, and he really you know, didn't have the staff to be able to do that. Well, we came in and we said, you buy this equipment and we will put the feeds on in terms of doing this. Now, of course, every time it came out it said "KRU at the University of nebraska Lincoln is offering this situation with Coach Devante, Coach Osborne, or whoever in terms of doing this. So it was, frankly, kind of a situation where I was telling people we have some really good graduates and L- listen to them, you can talk to them, and maybe they'd like to work at your
0: st- t- station somewhere. Yep, absolutely. Don was quite an advocate for education for our students all the years he was here. As you mentioned, a, a long line of university officials have done that. And I think there's the campus has always made us feel... Very welcome at any campus event. We've liked to refer to ourselves over the fifty years essentially as the soundtrack of the campus, carrying the Thompson Forum broadcasts, and every time the chancellor has a State of the University address or things along that line. So uh, it's been uh, it's been a quick fifty years, I think. But then I haven't been here the whole time. Uh, but you've been here, a part it. of it. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, as you look back over the the fifty years that since the station has been on, what uh, is it possible to boil down to one or two major changes you think have been the most significant in terms of how radio and the industry have evolved in that time?
1: The level of program content, and you certainly are a big part of this, has evolved and gone into more sophisticated program content over a period of time. So when we first started out, we were starting out with mainly introductory students, but then we got to the more advanced students, and the more advanced students did more challenging kinds of situations. Uh, for example, at one point, we had a grant and we ran uh, a legislative reporting class. And so we covered the legislature on a continuous basis and we had a a studio in the state Mm capitol, and we covered it on a regular basis, and we had all kinds of coverage on KRNU, but on other stations as well in terms of doing this. So we, uh, I I would like to say in a kindly way, we upped the quality of broadcasting, both radio and television, in Nebraska, but wherever those graduates went.
0: Well, I certainly agree. Well, I appreciate you taking time to come back today, and bring us the background and the roots of uh, how KRNU got started and thank you for all of your years of service as a faculty member here but as the founding general manager of KRNU it was uh, largely thanks to you that we're on the air and it was a pleasure to be your student and then to work for you for all those years as well.
1: Well it's been a fun opportunity to be able to deal with it and as I mentioned in passing but I'll mention it again because I think it's appropriate When the chancellor gets up and says, that we're working with experiential education, and this is a priority for the university, it seems to me that KRNU is a leader in that set of circumstances. Not only have we been interested in research, have we been interested in ethics, have we been interested in uh, very clear language, but we've also been in a situation where we put ourselves and the students out on the line, so if we make a mistake, everybody can hear it. And we don't make many mistakes, But it's a situation where it is real-world opportunities, and that's enhanced the quality of broadcasting in our world.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time today, Larry. Always a pleasure to speak with you always fun to come back. There you go. Our guest today on Campus Voices, Dr. Larry Walkland, the founding general manager of 90.3 KRNU, longtime chair of the broadcasting department and broadcasting major here on the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Rick Alloway on this 50th anniversary of 90.3 KRNU. This has been Campus Voices, and as always, thank you for your time this Sunday morning. This has been Campus Voices, issues, news and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To comment on this program, call 402-472-3054 or email to krnu at unl.edu. Campus Voices is a public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.